0: Jesus, we thank you, and we love you, and we just say uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather again um, in this country, to gather freely on a Sunday morning, to just to worship you, to know your heart. And, God, we just pray um, that we would be a people that are always willing to open up your word and to be changed by it. God, let us never be a stubborn people. Let us never be stuck in our ways, Lord. But we just say, word of God, speak to us. Speak to us again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, last week we kicked off the series called Becoming Good Soil. All right, now you can use the word dirt, but we thought soil sounded better. You don't want to become good dirt, you know, kind of has a bad connotation. So Becoming Good Soil, okay? And so we got this because Jesus actually has a parable he shares in three out of four Gospels, okay? And it's a parable of the four soils. And he's talking about a sower went out to sow, or a farmer went out to sow seed. And he sowed seed, and the seed fell on different types of ground. It fell on the pathway, and... Then some fell amongst the rocks and so forth. And then he gets to this fourth soil that he mentions in Matthew chapter 13, verse eight and nine. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus talks about this fourth soil. So we started thinking, okay, what is it about this fourth soil? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 23 of that same chapter to unpack the meaning of this parable in the soils, and he describes the fourth soil like this: As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold; another, sixty; and in another, thirty. All right. So Jesus says, "What is it about the good soil? He who hears the word and understands it." Right. So he's describing two different things. It right? can go in one ear and out the other. We know that to go in and then to actually be embraced, to be cultivated, to actually be part of your life. That's what he's talking about when it comes about, when he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom, right? And in this parable, he's talking about these gospel seeds, right? And when you experience the kingdom of God, like, do you just experience it? Does it come and be part of who you are? Now, last week, as we started out, we talked about identity, right? We talked about identity kind of being the first part to us becoming good soil, and we said, in order to do that, you actually have to uproot lies. Because, right? you know, lies are what hinder us from having our identity in Christ clear. It's what confuses things, right? But we want our identity to be clear in Jesus Christ. You actually have to uproot lies like things like, hey, I actually have to earn my way into heaven, right? Or, um, or God doesn't really love me if he really knew what I've done. There's all sorts of lies that actually keep us from actually embracing our identity as a son or daughter of God, as an adopted son daughter of God, which is what Jesus did, right? Jesus initiated the adoption process so we could be adopted into the family of God as children. So that's what we talked about last week. But today, we're gonna gonna do some digging again, okay? And we're gonna be talking about holiness, all right? Some of your favorite words, okay? Holiness, right? So um, holiness is another key factor to becoming good soil. Now, to kind of kick this off, I want you to think about, what if you met someone this afternoon on the street, and you said, and they said, hey, what'd you do this morning? You said, well, I went to church and we talked about holiness. And they're like, holy what? They never heard it. Okay, so what if you met someone today who's never heard the term holiness? How would you describe it to that person? Just off the cuff, right? Think about how you would describe holiness to someone who's never heard of the phrase. You may um, list out, well, holiness is like a bunch of do's and don'ts, like a list of right and wrongs. Or You may describe a person that you think or thought was, like, really holy. Um, You may think of someone in ministry or someone that you've known. You may think of a monk. Well, they're they're, they're pretty holy, right? Um, You may describe someone who's very religious, right? Man, they must be a holy man or a holy woman. Um, I think you know where I'm going, but all those answers are wrong about holiness. Um, But it's okay, because half of us would get that wrong anyways. But we're going to go to the Word of God to actually figure out what is holiness and where does holiness come from? You need to know that the best way to describe holiness is like to describe God himself, right? So God actually is the inventor of the holiness, all right? So um, um, in, in the Bible, just like in modern day language, if a parent is talking to a child and if a parent says uh, the same thing to their child twice, they're really trying to get it into them, right? It's like, Johnny, don't put your hand in the fire. But Johnny's still doing it. Johnny, don't put your hand in the fire, right? But if mom or dad says it a third time, Johnny, don't put your hand in the fire. It's like, oh, I need to really get that, right? Sometimes you actually have to overemphasize the same thing over and over to drive it home, to drive home, and it's important because a hand in the fire means there won't be a hand, right? It's just going to be gone, okay? So there's an importance, right, so to our language. Well, in the Bible, uh, specifically in the Hebrew language, whenever something was said two times, it was like a hey, big deal. Right. Okay. So you think about even the you think about the teachings of Jesus. Sometimes he would say, "Truly, truly, I say unto thee." Right. It's like truly, truly. Pull that highlighter out. Oh, there's a truly, truly. Oh, that's, he's like overemphasizing something right now so that we really get it. Okay. But as far as I know, throughout the entirety of the Old and New Testament, there's only one word that is used three times in a row to describe the nature of God. There's only one word used three times in a row to actually describe. The nature, one of the attributes of God, and we see it in Isaiah 6, 3. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now Isaiah, the prophet, is describing this vision he is seeing in heaven, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We see it again in Revelation chapter four, verse eight, the second part of it, and it says, "In day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It doesn't say mercy, mercy, mercy. It doesn't say grace, grace, grace. It doesn't say powerful, powerful, powerful. It doesn't say creator, creator, creator. It doesn't say that. It says holy, holy, holy. Now I didn't write the thing, I'm just reading it. (laughs) But if I'm looking at this, I'm saying, I think the idea of God's holiness is kind of a big deal. For one, it's what's being said night and day and never ceasing in heaven right now. What? Whoa! Like what is like? What's the conversation like in heaven? You know, uh, there's other things that'll be talked about, but here's what we do know: at least, at least in the foreground or the background or all the ground, what's being said is holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This idea of his holiness being proclaimed over and over and over and eternity means wow, we're getting a glimpse of something eternal that maybe we haven't realized here but this is a big deal. Not just for now but forever. So the holiness of God. You know, the word for holy in the Hebrew is kadosh and it means to be set apart for a special purpose. To be set apart for a special purpose. Now, um, I want us to look at the Old and New Testament a little bit here to unpack some things. So, when you think about the Bible, you have the Old Testament, okay? Then you have the Gospels. There's four of those. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have these letters or the epistles. And these are like, you know, um, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians. You have all these things that are written after Jesus. So, you kind of, like, before Jesus, the Old Testament, Jesus shows up, that's the Gospels, and then Jesus leaves Earth and goes and ascends up into Heaven, and then that's where you get Acts, Romans, and the rest of it, okay? So you kinda break the Bible into these kinda three periods of time, and so when you think about that, though, you have to realize that the Old Testament system was different than the New, right? So in the Old Testament, you actually had the laws of God were laid out, right? Starting with the Ten Commandments and then therefore. So you look at Leviticus, you look at Deuteronomy, these books of the Bible, that have lots of different rules and regulations, you're like, wow, there's a lot of stuff there. Right, you read through Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you read about the prophets, and you read about all these things God was saying, instructing, teaching the people. If you started adding it all up, it is a lot. I mean, it is a lot. That's why the Old Testament is so big. There's just a lot of stuff you gotta obey. I mean, and it's kind of exhausting. If you look at the Old Testament, it really is demanding. It really is like impossible to do everything that is said. Now, if you are living back then, you got to think this is hopeless. I, I, I had a, I had, I had a solid ten days. I mean, Ten Commandments. I was crack, I was rocking it, you know. Then I stubbed my toe and I burst out in anger. Ah, you know, start over again. You know, it's just like the constant nagging, never good enough, never right enough. I can never obtain that holiness. Has got to be frustrating. I mean, so let's give the old testament guys a break. I mean, we look at them, we're like, I can't believe that. It's like, well, what what if you didn't have grace? Uh-oh. What what if you didn't have the spirit? What if it's like, oh, okay, then we don't judge as much, right? So what happened between the Old and New Testament? Something happened that was massive. Grace. Grace came. What they lacked in the old, you got in the new with Jesus. Jesus brought grace, right? And honestly. What the Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament and we look at it now, it's like, what should they have been crying out for? They should have been crying out for a savior, which many of them did, but some didn't. Like, the fact that the demands to live a righteous life were so incredibly difficult. you got to be crying out, someone save us from this. I mean, we can't do this anymore. It's exhausting. So God sent his son and said, I know it's exhausting. I know you'll never be perfect. That's why I sent my son, Jesus, to become the perfect for you, to rescue you. So the Old Testament, we had the law, the New Testament, now we have grace. But, which means, instead of living an entire life trying to earn favor from God, you live an entire life already having favor of God. There's a big difference, guys, and there's a mental shift that we have to understand today. In the church today, I would argue, a large chunk of Christians in the church today still live with the law mindset. They don't understand the grace. And if they shift it to the grace, they end up throwing out the law. Jesus never threw out the law. He didn't abolish the law. He said himself, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? It's not just grace, it's grace and truth. We have to understand that the only way you're actually going to apply the truth in your life is if you have the grace empowering you to do so. Without the grace, it's impossible. Look at the Old Testament. Those people are a lot more disciplined than most of us. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't pull it off. They actually were less distracted than we are. And they couldn't pull it off. They were devoted. I mean, literally, they had an entire society devoted to trying to keep all these commands. And they couldn't do it. Wow. I mean, they would have been known as some of the most holy people ever in history, except it wasn't enough. Because he is holy, holy, holy with no mistakes, no errors. God's holiness is way out there. So in order for us to even have a taste, he had to bring himself way down here. He brought Jesus down here for us. You see, the grace of Jesus that we get in the New Testament empowers us to live out the truth. You can say the grace of Christ empowers us to live out the holiness. Like that is actually obtainable. Now I want to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Okay, so if you're a new creation in Christ, I mean, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Now, I want you to do something you may feel awkward doing, okay? But once you say this to me, I want you to say, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. And we're gonna say it one more time so you actually mean it. I am a new creation. Now, we're doing three times because we got holy, holy, holy. I am a new creation, okay? You're a new creation. Honestly, you know all these like self-help books and stuff? Honestly, the Bible's the best self-help there is. Like, If you just start declaring truth, all of your life stuff happens. It just changes the atmosphere, right? If it's like, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. Eventually, you'll wake up like, man, I'm an idiot. But it's like, well, who said that? I don't know, I did. Guys, uh, our words have life and death power of the tongue. There's life and death. If you say I'm ugly, you're going to wake up Dan and day and just be like, yeah, I just am ugly. You know, I'm dumb, sure. I'm no good at this, okay. Just keep saying it over yourself. That's just a spiral down. In fact, that's what the devil's, kind of his key plans is. Remember, he's the father of lies, so he wants to lie to you and wants to put things in your path so that you stumble across them and say, man, I guess that's just how it is. I'm just an angry person, right? Man, I'm just a horrible dad. I've met a lot of horrible dads who became great dads, so you know. A lot of, I've met a lot of horrible people who became great people <laughs> um, because of the grace of Jesus. Right? You're no longer stuck underneath a system, but actually there's the grace to come right now. I just want to speak to in the room. If your background is pretty rough, Jesus came for that. He came for that. He's not holding your background against you. not holding your past against you. He's not holding what family you were or were not a part of or what you did or didn't do. His grace comes and he says, it is finished. I'm telling you guys, I do not believe in Jesus that only just provides a way for us in heaven, but lets us eke it out on earth. That is not what we were made for, right? You weren't made for that. You were not made to live some religious Christian game. That is not the deal. The deal is that Jesus came and he says we paid it all, not for some. Oh, he only paid for those guys, but he ain't 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 touching that, right? Because that's, that's just really wrong. Trust me, there's nothing you have done or thought of doing in your existence that has not already been done a lot worse than you have, right? You've murdered someone, someone's murdered 500 people. Gotcha. Right? Seriously. You have lied, someone has, has, has lied a thousand times. Right? You have abused someone, someone else has abused someone. So, if you think that Jesus can't come and to cover that same thing that he's already covered, you have been tricked and duped into believing that he is not that powerful, instead, he's actually powerless, and that the devil's more powerful. But last I checked, Jesus did rose from the grave, right? If Jesus wasn't resurrected back to life, then yes, the devil wins. He wins, you know. Like Paul actually says, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Because uh, our king, our savior died, and that was it, and he's done. In fact, that's what the disciples thought. Wow, this was, this was the guy. This was, we, he rode in on the donkey. I wasn't a big fan of that. Maybe the horse could have been better, you know, riding into Jerusalem and stuff. But he came in the donkey. That's cool, They're very humble, and but now, now he's, he's, he's dead, like he's, 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 he's gone. You got to imagine that Saturday was pretty gut-wrenching. Oh, man, the Sunday came. And I always like to say this, but hey, the women got there first. You know, the men were all <laughs> over. And, and the ladies said, hey, nah, uh No, 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 no. We're going to go check this thing out. Because we remember he said something. He said something. And we're not going to be like these guys over here saying it's all over. We're going to be positive. We're going to say, no, 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 no. There, there's, there's a glimmer. And they came, and then he showed up, and he said, hey guys, I'm back. That moment in time that happened just about 2,000 years ago, that moment in time proved Jesus was the Son of God, proved Jesus had power over sin and death, and therefore gives us the option, gives us the invitation, I will say, to step into that reality of being completely forgiven. No one in this room, no one in this room, y'all, is beyond the touch of Jesus. There's not a person on those streets. There's not a person in your neighborhood that's beyond him. I don't care how crazy, how wicked they are today. Jesus has touched a lot of crazy, wicked people. Yeah, not just in the Bible, so you know, like in our city. Some of you were in this room. You were crazy and wicked. You know? And then like, like, like bad. Like everyone's like, that guy needs to be locked up. But then Jesus got a hold of your heart. And now you're like, you're like ministering out of that place of former brokenness, and you're like just seeing people break through all the place. I just want to state that, that the greatest place of breakthrough probably, like, in your personal life is your greatest place of ministry. It's usually how it works. So if you struggle with homosexuality, and that was a thing in your life, guess what? When you got breakthrough and you found out who you really are as a child of God, guess what? You get a place to minister to people. And guess what? If you struggle as a habitual liar all the time, you're always stealing and lying and deceiving everyone, guess what? You get breakthrough. Now you get to call that other people and help bring them through it you're as a bum dad, as abusive father, guess what? You get your life redeemed, you get transformed, then you get to go speak into other abusive men and you get to call them out. Because there's power, when Jesus comes in their brokenness, there's power to set you free. And I'm telling you, when you understand that you are a new creation in Christ, when you really believe that, guys, this is a mental thing. It, it is not a do more thing. That's not working. It hasn't worked. It won't work. It's not a religious thing. It is a New creation reality. When you believe I am a new creation, therefore I will press in and I will step in and I will reflect that way of living, things change. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for our sake he made him, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. For our sake, now here's what you to do, all right? This is gonna be awkward. I want you to say your name in place of our that's here twice, okay? It's gonna say, our sake, and then it's gonna say, we might, okay? So you can say it out loud, okay? I'm gonna say my name, you're gonna say your name, because you need to say this, so you actually understand what he's done for you. So here we go, for Tyler's sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him Tyler might become the righteousness of God. Don't worry, you're not being heretical, okay? We, our, you're included, okay? You need to personalize this reality, If you will personalize the fact that him who knew no sin, which is talking about Jesus Christ, in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what they were striving after for thousands of years in the Old Testament. They wanted to be righteous. They wanted to be holy. And God said, "Uh uh-uh. But he said, but Jesus will come. And you know what happens, guys? You know why this is such a big verse right here? Because what God gives us in exchange, he says, the righteousness of Christ Will be given to you in exchange for your sins, shilt, and game. For your sin, guilt, and shame. That's just made up a new word. Right? Like, what a great deal. That's called the great exchange in all of humanity. Yes. Yes. Wait, so here's here's the sales pitch. You give me your sin, and I'll give you righteousness. Well, that's a pretty good deal. I don't know if that's a win win or not, but I, that's a deal. I get righteousness for my sin. Yeah, but by the way, you actually have to believe in me and surrender your life to me to get that. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't actually pay for that. There's no monetary exchange. There's no magical words. It's a heart thing. Words can be cheap, we know. You can say I love you to your spouse and then hit her in the face five minutes later. Do you really love her? No. You said you did, but you don't. Because actions speak louder than words. I think that Jesus is looking for us to be a people that align we're not a double-minded people. We don't act one way on Sunday or one way in life group and different at home. You can't pretend to be a great mom in public and then at home you're hurting your kids. You can't pretend to be a great student and then skip classes all week. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I know I got half of you. <laughs> hey, I, look, I'm not gonna brag, but I'll tell you this much. My mom and dad told me growing up when you go to school, you go to school. And you know, i made a commitment to honor them. I didn't skip one class in four and a half years of college. I say that because it could be done. Do you understand me? Half the problem is you don't think it's possible what I'm saying. You don't think it's possible to actually be a new creation. You don't think it's actually possible to actually overcome the habitual sin things in your life. You just think you'll just always struggle with it. And I'm telling you, that's nowhere in the Bible. There is zero teaching in the Bible, at all, anywhere in the New Testament with Jesus that says, hey, partially forgiven, partially free. There is none of that. It is it is black and white. It is either or. It is either gonna please God or please me. It is not this like straddling the line thing. It's driving me nuts. So many people have been tricked to think that they will always struggle with XYZ. As long as you think that that will be true. But guess what? He didn't give us the spirit of fear. What did he give us, guys? spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You are not crazy with Christ. Without him, yes. But not with him. So he gave us a sound mind or self-control, another interpretation. See, the righteousness of God is the righteousness of Christ. And it says that, guess what? He gave us his righteousness on behalf of our sin. That's the transfer that happened. I want to go on to 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. He's asking us to step into that new creation. We talked last week about our identity in Christ, qualifies us for a new creation and a fresh start, and he's saying, what? You shall be holy, for I am holy. He's talking about Jesus is inviting us into this relationship, into this reality, to step into holiness, to step into a holy conduct, to step into a lifestyle that honors him and pleases him. But the good news is there in verse 13, it says what? It says, preparing your minds for action. Minds. This is a head game. Mentally. That's where faith is, you know. It's in your heart and your mind. If you believe it so, it's possible. If you don't believe, it's not possible. Okay? So he says, prepare your minds for action. This is like a war thing. It's like, prepare for battle. You know, it's like, okay. Prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, you could say single-minded, thinking about him. Not everyone else you're trying to please, him. Here we go. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Set your hope fully on the grace. Um, Sin is powerful. There's no doubt. And sin has immense consequences. And I think there's a bit of a thought these days in our culture that um, if you're forgiven, everything is healed. But That's not true, sadly. There's still consequences for our sin. That doesn't go away. You are completely forgiven. But to say to a family how this husband treated their family, he's now given his life to Jesus on a Sunday, but on Saturday he was very hurtful. Hey, guys, let's just forget all that that ever happened. Yeah, cool. That doesn't happen that way. There's trauma. There's pain. There's healing that has to go through. And that man's got to humble himself and rework back in to work trust and develop them. He's forgiven in Christ, absolutely. He's a new creation, but he's got work to do. And by the way, his trust's got to be rebuilt. And by the way, those wounds are going to take time to heal. We like to believe that our actions from the past don't have an effect on people, and that is you're deceived. We're deceived. It's like, well, just look at your own life. Look at the number of people you've already affected and hurt. And you try to tell them, get over it. Get over what? Get over all the pain you caused me? No, man, that's a journey. Sin is nasty because if there wasn't consequences, then why would we care about Jesus? If the Consequences were, well, I'm destined to hell. I'm destined to be separate from God. Then what's the, why do I, why do I want to surrender my life to you? What do you got for me? Sin it for me? Man, but there's healing available in Christ. But man, we got to realize sin is powerful. But do we believe that sin is more powerful than holiness? The power of holiness. Guys, when you walk as a new creation, when you walk with a mindset that you know What? I'm going to uproot sin and actually have the power to do so. That's a game changer. That is so different versus I'm a victim. Some of us walk around, I'm a victim. My family this, my upbringing this, my personality this, my weaknesses this, my stature this, my position this, my whatever. And it's always an excuse about everything. And we're making excuses for the choices choices we make. Uh, Excuses aren't, you don't find any excuses affirmed by God in the Bible. There are none. Uh, Find one. I'd love for you to find it. He's like, yeah, that's cool. That'll qualify. I get it. He doesn't do that. Because he knows, he's calling us, he's our creator, right? He's calling us into a life that's actually possible. That actually overcome the brokenness. You know, I love uh, how you read the story about Jesus cleansing the lepers. And, um, you know, what you got to realize, when he's telling that story, every one of those people hearing that story, they knew a leper. And they lived in towns where they had the leper colonies outside the village because they wouldn't let them in because they were unclean. Everyone knew about leprosy. It was rampant. And so Jesus tells a story, and then he actually demonstrates cleansing these people of leprosy. And they're like, what just happened? Every time we touch them, we get the disease. You touch them, the disease goes away. Now, that's not possible. But guys, that's what he's asking us to step into thinking. Your mindset's got to shift from what is logical or possible to what is the impossible, because all things with God are possible. So I would argue that the leprosy in your life, is killing you, that's keeping you separated from others, that's creating a distance between you and family or friends, that leprosy, Jesus can touch it if you let him. But if he comes near and you run off, what's he going to do? He's faster than you, but, um, <laughs> okay, and sometimes he will just come after you, okay? So that's there. But usually what we find is that he, um, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. What you find is Jesus walking through the crowd and the woman reaching out touching his garment. What you find is him saying, Zacchaeus come down, and he comes down. There is a coming to Jesus that is usually required to have that relationship, to have that healing. What does that mean? When you come to someone, that means you're surrendering. Saying, okay, I'm coming to you because you actually can help. When you make them come to you, what you're doing is you're prideful. You're saying, you come to me on my terms and my turf. When you go to them, it's a little different, right? So it's a posture of your mindset. It's your attitude. It's your heart. We've got to fix our hope on the grace because it is more powerful. Remember, the spirit of God is greater than the spirit of this world. And that spirit lives inside of you and me. So, which means who's more powerful, you or the devil? Some of you are tricked. Trying to trick me? You by yourself would get smoked. Okay? You with the Spirit of God is going to smoke him. Do you understand me? But if you believe that you are inferior to the devil, then you will live a life that is inferior. If you believe that he actually has the upper hand, you will live a life where he has the upper hand. You'll live with bitterness, and shame, and fear, and control, manipulation, and feel doubtful all the time. But if you believe, hold on a second, you don't have the upper hand. My Jesus crushed you, you remember? I know you remember, right? The the stone was rolled away, right? He crushed the head of the serpent, you remember that? Because he crushed you, he defeated you. Then he said the same spirit that is in me, it's gonna be given to you. So if you walk by the Spirit, guess what? You get to do the crushing now. Which is why if you step into a situation where there's a hundred people doing darkness and you're the one light, guess what? Everybody knows the light just showed up. You can either walk in afraid or walk in with power. Your power isn't punching and fighting. Your weapons are different. But man, when you come in with that kind of warfare, I have no fear. I mean, gosh, you could put the cape on, have no fear, God is here, whatever you wanna say. You know, I mean, it works. It's like, hey, bring it, you know? It's like, guys, why are we nervous about the darkness? A friend of mine was telling me the other day, he said actually in sports medicine and psychology stuff, what they realize is that the same chemicals being released in your body when you're nervous are the same chemicals released when you're excited? Okay, like literally, it's all about how your mind labels them. I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. Same things are released: these hormones, these chemicals, these things. I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. But if you're like, "No, I'm just excited. I'm excited. Oh, right," and uh, y- you can start switching it. You can actually can mentally start saying, "No, no, second. Wait, I don't be fearful. I don't be nervous." Come on, who's my God? It's like, David, you better believe he was nervous. Big giant, I'm tiny, can't wear the armor. Slingshot only. Mm. I could be nervous right now. But you better believe that when he started hearing the taunting of his God, that nervousness turned to some excitement, some confidence, y'all, because he walked up and just said, bring it on. And but nobody else in the army was willing to do that, were they? They were all nervous. They were all in fear. They all thought the enemy is so big and scary. And took the little guy when was supposed to be there to take him down to set the precedent. So church, what am I telling you? The precedent has been set for every area of your life of sin and habitual sin so you can walk in holiness. Someone else has already defeated the giant. The testimony is there for the taking. So take it and live with it. Live from the place of freedom. You don't have to live in sin or addiction any longer in fact i want to read this passage we close today because i'm going long here we go i want you all to stand let's stand come on we're gonna stand band's gonna come on up we're gonna end this thing and first thessalonians chapter four verse one through eight i just want to read this passage for us because um i think it'll be challenging and convicting for us, but it is the Bible. And if you say that you are a follower of Christ, then what you actually are saying is that I'm also following the teachings of Christ. I'm actually following what the Bible says, and I'm not gonna pick and choose what I don't like or do like. That's actually not biblical Christianity. That is some other form. I don't know what that is. Maybe cultural or something. It's not biblical. But if um, biblical Christianity is actually saying, you know what, no matter what, I'm gonna get my life aligned with this, because this works, this is eternal, and you better believe the holy, holy, holy is happening. You can choose that, though. No one's forcing you. No one here, no one, I don't know if someone, maybe somewhere else, but here, it's just a choice, a meditation. As I read this, I just want us to read it, and we're gonna go into time of worship, because it was just convicting for me again this week, guys. I was like, Lord, I just need a fresh conviction because the only way I'm going to walk in this holiness is if I uproot the sin in my life, and that's going to take some work. It's going to take some pain, and it's going to—it's going to be using the right tool. But guys, some of us are using the wrong tool. We're trying to uproot sin with just like a bare hands, and it ain't working. Get one of those tools—a little long thing. Get to those roots, and you dig that sucker out, and it's never to return. Do you know that once you uproot something, you're not supposed to put it back. It goes in the trash burn, to be burned, to be trashed. It's gone. Right? Once you've been cleansed and you're—once you've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, guess what? You don't store it up like in a container of my unrighteousness and all my dirt. I'll go back to that and dump it on me again. You are cleansed. You are free indeed, right? So as we look at this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, here's the admonition for us. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. As we told you beforehand, I am solemnly, solemnly warned you. Verse seven, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Do you see what he's saying? He's calling us not to life in purity, not to life of, of, of a victim mentality or defeatist mentality, but to a life of victory, and to a life to where you can walk in holiness and in your conduct can honor and please God that's what he says he says you know how to walk and please God and I would argue most of us in this room actually know that already but there's a hindrance of their stomach blocks in front of us saying you can't really do that that's not really possible that's for others not for you I think you actually know what to do but you're being hindered from doing it so that's what I pray for us and I pray that we be a people that the Spirit of God literally comes and as a mind shift. Because remember, He is the Holy Spirit; He is holy, and Him being in you is giving that on ramp, that opportunity to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. So, Lord Jesus, we just pray right now. Would you come, Lord, come, Lord. I ask that you would put upon us. The idea that there is so much power and potential and holiness through us in jesus that there's potential lord there is there's untapped potential of holiness inside of us individual lord right now i just pray over every mind in this room that is feeling discouraged over every mind in this room that is feeling like i can never be that or you don't know my past what i pray you'd put those thoughts to rest and you would say enough is enough and you say you are a new creation you've been chosen you've been hand-picked you've been you've been pre-selected You are ready you are made to live righteously you are made to pursue me you are made to walk in holiness because that's how i made you that's what i crazed you for and i gave you the spirit of god so that you can do it not on your own but through his power and his grace so lord i pray this morning you would give the grace and the power to each and every one of us lord we are weak people but with you we are strong with you we are overcomers lord we pray that there be an overcoming sense a belief that would rise up today to say enough is enough with the sin. Enough is enough, we are done, we are finished. It is finished. And Lord, we will press on towards the goal of Christ. We will press on and we will bless those who persecute us and hurt us, Lord. We will redeem those that are broken. Lord, we will press into the dark places and be that light. And God, we personally will commit to be those that are honoring and pleasing to you, Lord. And when we mess up, that we are quick to turn and confess and repent and say, Lord, help me now. Let's never do it again. Let us be a people that are free not temporarily, but for the long haul. but I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning and I ask you would come and meet us in power. There's nothing else that could be said. We just need you to speak to us. We need you to download us. We need you to speak truth, Lord. Move, remove the lies, uproot the lies, uproot the sin, Lord, right now. We just invite the righteousness of Christ into this room and to every heart and every person, Lord. We invite the righteousness of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Lord, for that exchange. We pray we receive it again in a fresh way this morning. In Jesus' name.